Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, all you wonderful F1 fans out there in the world. No matter where you're listening to, thank you very much for tuning in. My name is Kelsey, and you're listening to the newest episode of F101. As usual, let us start off with the hot topics for this week. The last car has been revealed in the 2023 season, and that is Mercedes. And oh my God, I'm just I'm I'm going to call it now. Uh, my new nickname for this car it's definitely not the Silver Arrow. It is in my mind, it is officially the Black Beauty. By far, this season's most dynamic and the sexiest car i have absolutely seen this year period i know alpine brought their car out a couple days after that we're gonna get to that in a second but in in my opinion when i saw mercedes bring out their new w14 car like the rest of the cars just kind of vanished including ferraris i know ferrari had a beautiful car they brought it out on the. They did a two lap run to make people all ooh and on. Ah, there were some nice things on the car. It looked like a little bit of uh, some new some new applications on the car. A few new side pods design here and there. Like it's a nice car, Ferrari. Don't get me wrong, but when you see Mercedes bring out this weapon, I mean, it's not a car. It's a weapon on the track. Oh my good god, the season's almost over. Like the season's over apparently for me. This will by far give Red Bull the biggest run for their money in the 2023 season. I'm calling it right now that it will be the classic Mercedes versus Red Bull. Ferrari will be a far third and who cares about the rest of the group. If you're following these two teams, it was amazing. They're going with another almost no side pod chassis, which is a very interesting way to go just because they did have some issues with it last year. But what they've done is they, they extended the side pods a little bit. Like you've got side pods, but you don't have side pods. You know what I mean? Like there's a little bit of a bump for aerodynamic grip, if you want to call it for downforce, but that's pretty much it. It's, it's just sleek. It's sexy. It is also 90% carbon fiber. These guys have figured out a very, very intelligent way to get their cars at least close to weight. Most of the cars are still overweight as we talk right now. Uh, Alpine had said in their release a couple days after that they are officially underweight for all of the new um, changes that they've made. So they're looking to add ballast to the car to make it, you know, up to that that grade of where everybody else is for weight wise. Mercedes, they're still a little bit overweight. They're going to get there, but they're still a little bit overweight with the car itself. So what they did is they saved something like six and a half kilos. By not painting the car. I didn't know paint was that heavy. Honestly, I know that when you've got four liters of milk, that it, you know it weighs like four liters, that there's a weight to that. I get it. But these cars, this the the paint is so thin, but it's so high quality that yeah, obviously it adds weight to it. But I didn't think you were taking off kilos by not painting the car. Now there is still paint on the car, obviously, but it's just, it's so sleek. It's so, oh my God, it's so sexy. The biggest takeaway from the Mercedes car is that the air intake now is officially, but if you're looking at the cockpit, it's almost like it's right beside the, the driver's legs. It's an amazing spot to put. It's, it's just the best move that Mercedes could possibly have done. Uh, the reveal was amazing too. It was straightforward. It didn't take that long. The interviewers, the interviewees, everybody was talking clear and concise. It was on time. It was about the car, not about the drivers or about the sponsors. It was simple, but it was to the point. And I think it made the absolute biggest impact that you could possibly get. And to Mercedes credit, they actually showed the car like Ferrari did that they will actually be using for the breakdown before the season starts. This is actually the car they will be using. It's not like Red Bull where they essentially hid the car for the entire 
hour and a half long duration. When they showed it, it was a new color. Obviously, it was a 2022 car. Uh, Haas, you didn't even see the car. You saw a bunch of pictures of the car. Again, that wasn't the car that they'll be running for the shakedown just before the season starts. Now, when I say shakedown, that's kind of like their test drives. They've got, I think it's 100 laps per driver to get things figured out, tweak, replace this, fix that, all that kind of stuff, get that data they need. Mercedes showed us the car they will be driving for the shakedown. This is the car that Russell will be in. This is the car that Hamilton will be in, and it was amazing to see. I'm very, very, very excited about that. So enough about Mercedes. I know I babbled along enough about them. Uh, let's go into the Alpine car. The Alpine car was, again, it was a 2022 car. They, it was very, it was very French. As bad as that sounds, and I know that sounds kind of bad, but if you had watched Alpine's uh, release last year, it was very Art Deco performance Like You knew, if you didn't watch from the beginning, if you didn't know they were releasing a car, you wouldn't have known. It was very dramatic. It was very artsy. It was very over the top. It was very, what the hell does this have to do with a Formula One car, period. And Alpine did the exact same thing this year. The stream started at, I think it was noon, our time. And you had to sit through, and we timed it because it was quite easy. It started at noon. You had to sit through 17 minutes of Alpine commercials that you saw the drivers once, and they weren't even in a Formula One car. So what it was, is it was just you were sitting through all the commercials you don't want to watch when you're watching TV. Just one after the other after the other. And at a certain point, you're like, what the fuck does this have to do with the Formula One car, period? Then it started. Okay, here we go. And then you've got the very proud-to-be-French-car this, very proud-to-be-French-car that, very proud of what we've done for this, very proud of what we've done for that, and so on and so forth. You're like, yeah, yeah, okay, get to the actual cars. Alpine did a little bit above and beyond when they got to that point, though. They showed both car liveries for what they'll be running for the 2023 season. Alpine, if you didn't know, is known for running one of two color schemes. One is like a, I want to say it's it's a a royal blue, but go a couple of shades lighter. Like it's a very good looking blue. I like that blue with a little bit of pink that's run around it. It looks really nice. It looks really sharp. It's a very clean car. Then on the other side, they do almost a 100% pink livery. And we're talking a, a little bit between cotton candy and flamingo pink. It's not super glossy. It's almost a matte color, but it's it's almost, oh, I'd say closer to bubblegum pink. It's very, it's a nice color. It looks good on the track with a little bit of blue. So essentially they just swap the color schemes. And of course they've got their massive BWT sponsorship just draped across all of it. Um, BWT, for those of you who don't know, it's an international company that takes their main pride that this company takes is they take recycled bottles and they turn it into usable materials, which in this case, they've got a couple of hundred or a couple of thousand recycled bottles in the car itself, which is fantastic for the environment. I do like what this company does. And then, I mean, that was kind of it for this is what the cars look like. Now, generally, for a reveal, you hear what the car will be able to do. Or we're hoping the car does this. We're looking forward to this. We're looking forward to that. So what Alpine did is they brought their technical advisor on stage and he walked us through from the front to the back. They walked us through what they improved on for the 2023 car. This is where Alpine has gone above and beyond the rest of the teams this year in their car reveals. Granted, it was a 2022 car with a few mods here and there. Like it wasn't the full expected 2023 car for the shakedown that we wanted to see, but Alpine took that extra step to just not be like, okay, here's our car, here's the color, here's a few parts here and there, we hope it works, good night. He walked us through from start to finish, from top to bottom, including what the new paint looked like, what it involved in that, what they did for the sideboards, for the suspension, for the wing, for the back end. For, I mean, that part was amazing. I absolutely love that part. And then Alpine did another amazing reveal, which... 
the reveal itself, the information behind it was great, but the way they went about it, I almost didn't care by the time they actually got to the announcement. And the announcement was an is not was is an important announcement for the future of uh, motorsport. It's very important for the future of women's racing, not only in Formula One, but across the board in karting in everything. But the way they went about it was just like, I don't care anymore. I know what you're trying to say and trying to allude to. And 25 minutes later, just say what you want to fucking say. Tell us what we know is coming. And essentially what it was is that Alpine is uh, committed to you know, committed to the support of women's racing across the board. So what they've started is they've started an Alpine uh, female karting team and series. And we're talking, this is, this is fantastic. This is ladies only. This is from the management to the engineers to the drivers. This is an all-female cast from start to finish with the drivers, which will bring these young women from karting to the very beginnings of formula racing. So formula four, again, they're going to have their own French women's team from formula four to three to the Academy that was announced for the 2023 season. And eventually the hope is that they're going to get females in formula one racing, which I want to see. I really do. You don't have to add teams, just have them on the grid with the guys. They're going to kick the crap out of the guys anyways. So let's just get it done and over with now. But that was the, that was the very important, in my opinion, and very forward thinking announcement that Alpine wanted to make. Just their delivery was, oh my God, I almost don't care when you get to it by that. Something to keep in mind and to take into consideration for next year when these guys or when the teams, my apologies, when the teams reveal these new cars is just get to the point. If you've got something important to say like this, like Alpine did, just a short announcement, a little bit of history, and just have this massive announcement, you're going to have a better impact and it will be re received a lot more enthusiastically than just, okay, oh, oh, you got to the point, yay, Kane, let's just, I don't care anymore, let's just get, get on and get going. The reveal was about an hour long, about 30 minutes too long, I think. By the time you got through the regulations of the car, they talked to the drivers, and then they had the announcement of the new um, women's karting association, essentially. That part was great. Everything else definitely could have taken a lot less time. And the last topic we're going to cover in the Hot Topics today is that it's, it's kind of curious that Honda all of a sudden is already geared up and ready to go for the 2026 season engine requirements which is fine which is great uh except for the fact that honda's not in formula one right now they left red bull last season and red bull took over the existing engine plans and they have expanded upon that to what they were in the 2022 season and they're continuing to expand upon that for the 2023 24 so on and so forth until they come in with their new partners with ford in 2026 so where does that leave Honda? I mean, they're, 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 they're working on the engines for 2026, but they don't have a team to go forward with. So how are they able to do this? This is brand new news, which I'm definitely going to keep you apprised of, but it's kind of weird to see a engine manufacturer working on teams or working on an engine for absolutely no team. Do they think that the partnership between Ford and Red Bull will not last? Are they banking on the fact that maybe Salba, when they become Audi, will just they'll need an engine that's ready to go now, even though Audi will be producing their own engines? Are they banking on the fact that Andretti Motors Motor Company with Chrysler and Cadillac will get into Formula One and they need an engine right away in 2026? Like, are they, it sounds like they're banking on the future a lot more than they need to. And there's just, there's not a whole lot of, there's not a whole lot of information at that point, but this is a certified statement. This is not rumors, but Honda is working on an engine for the 2026 season with absolutely no team to put it with. Maybe we're going to see Honda 
bring in their own constructors team for 2026 and it's just definitely under the radar who knows i'm very interested to see where this goes or maybe we can expect to hear a couple of announcements you know maybe at the beginning of the season maybe Alfatari is breaking away not becoming as much of a sister team to red bull as we all think they are maybe they're getting their own engine supplier for 2026 that would be that would be very intelligent for Alfatari and red bull in general because then that way you've got a lot of money saving there because if you have a new engine supplier and you've got and you're under certain regulations you get a lot of a lot of money back there's a lot of money that you can spend that doesn't go against your cost cap from so maybe alfatari is doing that and it's helping red bull you know reclaim some of that penalty money that they got for the 2022 season or maybe they don't have a lot of faith in the ford dealers in the ford deal as of right now they're kind of hedging their bets that if it's not that good for 26 that maybe they'll just go back to honda or if honda or if ford is amazing then they'll just give Honda to Alfa Atari. Who knows? I'm, I'm very interested to see where this goes. Moving on, this next topic, especially if you are a Aston Martin fan, you're definitely going to be wanting and paying attention to this story as it unfolds and it becomes a little bit more well-known of what happened. But as of today, uh, Lance Stroll will be missing the entire practice time uh, in Bahrain before the race starts at the beginning of the season due to minor training incident accidents uh so it is known that fernando alonso will be taking the entire research and practice load essentially for both they're going to base on the cars for both cars performance on what fernando alonso was allowed to do uh, this does mean that his time his practice time is essentially doubled so he gets his allotted time which i think ends up to 100 kilometers per driver so essentially he'll be driving 200 kilometers to do research for both cars to get as much information as they possibly can before the barring Grand Prix, which incidentally, mark it on your calendars, March 3rd and 5th, 3rd to the 5th weekend is the very first race of the 2023 season. 23 races, it's going to be amazing. But if you do or are able to see some of the practice and the shakedowns from Aston Martin, some teams do broadcast them live from wherever they're doing it from. Some teams do, some teams don't. Uh, you will not see Lance Stroll doing his preseason Bahrain testing due to minor injuries. He is okay. He's got a couple of bumps and bruises. I think he took a knock to the head as the statement or as the article stated. He will be fine when it comes to the beginning of the season. He's just not going to get any kind of practice time in. For him, it's very unfortunate. For the team, it's very unfortunate. If you need a driver to miss some practice time, you kind of want the veteran that has all the experience to miss that practice time. Fernando Alonso doesn't need extra practice time. He knows what he's doing. It'll be definitely beneficial for Aston Martin to have you know, that type of pedigree type of driver doing all the research and development on the track, that's great because he can give you very specific feedback. But Lance Stroll definitely needs that practice time. His performance last year was, it wasn't horrible, but it really wasn't great at the same time. He has made a few decisions in the past couple seasons where everyone's shaking their head at him going, man what what the hell were you thinking it's not that bad or hey take a breath or next time you do this you know try this way i think it's a major blow to lance's season that being said it's a brand new season brand new car he could just absolutely kill it and not miss the practice time or this practice time that he's missing could kind of define his season of well so close yet so far and folks, there you have it. That is the Hot Topic Breakdown for this episode. Now let's move on to our seventh team in the history of F1. We're talking about the All-American, the underdog story of the year. Everybody loves them. Nobody hates them. Their driver lineup is always, always, always interesting. We're talking about Haas F1 here. Their team base is in the USA, North Carolina, but they do have a satellite base in Europe, in the UK. Their team principal is the absolute legendary. If you know anything about F1, if you've seen any of the Drive to Survive, you know this name, you know this, this personality. He is definitely one of a kind. I think 
any team would be lucky to have him. We're talking about the one and only Gunter Steiner. He is amazing, in my opinion. First team entry, 2016. Total races. They've entered 144 races. Uh, they've started all 144 races. It's a fantastic record. We're shooting 100%. I know Haas will be looking to do that for the 2023 season. Drivers' Championships, zero, unfortunately. Constructors' Championships, zero, unfortunately. Their engine supplier, since they came in in 2016 up until 2023, has been the very, very uh, dependable and very classic Ferrari. Total team points is 237 points. They've got two fastest laps, and they've got one pole position. Their drivers, as of right now, is the ever-enthusiastic Kevin Magnussen, and then their other driver, which who replaced Mick Schumacher for the 2023 season, is the, what would you call him, the legend in the wings, the ever-reliable Nico Hulkenberg. Uh, in 2022, they finished 8th in the Constructor Series, which is good, not the bottom of the group. And their co-founder, or not the co-founder, the founder is Gene Haas. So let's get right into the history of it. Haas F1 team is a team that, when they first came into Formula One in 2016, they didn't buy out another team. These guys started from scratch, which is, I, I love saying that, that they started from the bottom up. They didn't buy a coexisting um, infrastructure. They didn't have, you know, engineers that were in Formula One for years before. They only person that you could say had really good credentials in Formula One before was Gunter Steiner. He had worked with Red Bull and Lotus for a couple of years before he came on to the Haas F1 team. Uh, their co-founder, Gene Haas, not a whole lot of people know about him. Um, he is one of the co-owners of the Stuart Haas racing team. Uh, that's NASCAR, their three-time winner with Tony Stewart, really well known in the States for that, as well as um, Gene Haas also has a vertical machining uh, company. So that's where he got his millions to get into NASCAR and as well to get into Formula One. So some teams come into Formula One with a bang. Some guys or some teams come in with, you know, a little bit of a whimper. Some some teams just kind of slide under the radar for a couple of seasons and they make a big bang. Well, Haas, as soon as out of the board in 2015, before they came in in 2016, they were definitely making waves because at that time the rules didn't necessarily um, hamper new teams from having a set of rules that they had to develop their car in. So Gene Haas and his technicians and the people at Ferrari, they definitely worked very closely together because if you want to, whether you want to admit it or not, I look at Haas as kind of like the sister team to Ferrari. They are very close when it comes to manufacturing ideas. Haas in the past have bought parts, from Ferrari as they are, you know, associated and affiliated with Ferrari. Um, it's raised some eyebrows in the past, but we'll get to that in a minute. But when they first came in, it was still very, very expensive for F1 teams to come in, even in 2016 and much earlier. So what Gene Haas did and, the, and then engineers at Haas F1, just in general, what they came up with, and there's still no name for it, but they are credited with pioneering uh, F1's first low-cost base model coming into Formula One. So now what that means is, let's say Andretti gets in for 2026. If they're totally hooped and don't have a car that's reliable or that blows, the, let's say their car just absolutely blows the budget, they can't fit, with, fit within that financial uh, restraint that Formula One has given them, they'll be able to go and buy this low-cost base chassis and base model for anybody in Formula One. So it made it affordable for new teams to come into Formula One from 2016 on. Now, there hasn't been a new team in Formula One since 2016. Haas was the last team to you know, join the grid. But moving forward, I think it really shows the, the ingenuity that moving forward, any new team coming in will be able to buy this base package. Like from front to back, it's just the base chassis. That it's, it's kind of like your beginner's, your beginner's course that you can mod and change and make it your own according to the F1 regulations and to the personality of the team and, you know, color scheme, all that kind of stuff. But they're definitely credited to helping Formula One move forward in that way and to help up with the cost cap as it proceeds for the next couple of years. 
So 2015, before they're even into Formula One, they bring this new low-cost model to the executives at FIA, and they check through the car from top to bottom, front to back, making sure everything is still legal with the rules that were set back then, making sure they were still within whatever cost cap was available to the cars, and everything goes swimmingly. They are you know, greenlit from the very step. As soon as they said go, Haas was within those rule regulations, and off they go. 2016, I mean, it was a good... It was a good start for them. Uh, they got sixth in the first race they ever came into, which was the Australian Grand Prix in 2016. Their very first inaugural race, they got sixth, which gave them eight points. And they were the first U.S. team since 2002 when there was a Toyota racing team to actually score points. So these guys are off to an amazing start. That season, their inaugural season, they got 29 points, eighth in the constructors. Fantastic start. Moving into 2017, they get the eighth spot in the Constructor Series again, second time in a row, which, I mean, double points in Monaco. Uh, Kevin Magnussen joins the team in 2017. And then that season alone, they only had two retirements. So right out of the gate, Haas is proving that they may not be able to run with the big boys. They may get eighth in the Constructors Championship, but they can still hang for a brand new team. They can still hang with, you know, the the best of the best, the baddest of the bad drivers, no matter the weather, no matter the circumstances, only two retirements in the entire season. Uh, one was a crash, and the other one was mechanical difficulty. So one not really, one not their fault, and one, we'll chalk it up to driver error, one their fault. So really fantastic start for them. They continued that forward momentum into 2018, fifth in the Constructors Series. Fantastic year for them. They scored... By the ninth race in 2018, they had already scored more points than they did in the entirety of the 2017 campaign. Kevin Magnuson is leading the way, and I mean leading the charge when it comes to getting these points. They're consistent. The team is working very well together. Kevin Magnuson's partner is uh, Grosjean for 2017-2018. These guys drove famously well together it was one of those groupings one of those pairings that a brand new team couldn't ask for a better set of teammates they got along with each other on track we're gonna see 90 percent of the time it's not like any team never had their type of differences on or off the track not everybody always gets along but in this case roman grosjean and k mag they were like the best of partners when it came to being on the track they didn't get in each other's way they didn't sabotage each other with dangerous moves or backing each other up. They generally helped each other on the track, which was amazing for these guys in the early development of this team. This is the type of development that you want early on for a brand new team. By the end of 2018, they were only one point away from doubling their entire point count from 2017. Uh, the car development was, it was questioned a couple of times in 2018 because some of the other teams were looking at it going, ah, is this another version of the pink Ferrari or the pink Mercedes? Some of the parts and the look and sometimes even down to the general color scheme of Ferrari was very, very, very close. Haas never made any apologies for it. And it was well known that Ferrari was supplying Haas with parts, which is totally legal under the contract that they signed, everything was good with the FIA, everything was good with Formula One. They weren't copying parts, which is what some teams got in trouble for. They were just buying parts from Ferrari. You can buy, I believe it's two season old parts. So if it's the 2018 season, you can buy parts directly from Ferrari for 2016. As long as they're not you know, super close to what it was, but a lot of the, especially McLaren, they were complaining back in the day that Haas looked suspiciously close or very close to the 2018 Ferrari car. Investigation was put forward. It didn't last very long. There was no wrongdoing that this was totally legal for what Haas was doing. 2019 comes around and Haas is starting to be in the general conversation of 
the top five teams. Now they're not in the top five of the teams, but they're always within that conversation that they just need that extra little bump. Uh, at this point, Gene Haas was the only major sponsor of the team. Of course, you've got Pirelli and you've got some parts manufacturers here and there, but for the most part, Gene Haas was fitting most of the bill for the actual team. So when 2019 rolls around and all of a sudden you've got a British energy drink called Rich Energy coming in, wanting to be a major sponsor and signing a multi-year million dollar contract, everyone was thinking, okay, this is it. Haas is coming up. This is going to be amazing. Unfortunately for them, for the 2019 season, it really, it really wasn't to be. By 2019, there were some new regulations that were being floated around that were going to come around and the rest of the grid, you know, they've got their major sponsorship money and Haas, I mean, they're still finishing races. They're still competing the best that they can, but all of a sudden they're starting to become the last of the rest kind of team. They're only qualifying, you know, eighth, ninth, maybe, maybe you're hitting that top 10. They show up on on uh, qualification day, they run really, really well in tests. They run really well in practice. They run fairly well in qualifying, but when it comes to race day, they've fallen behind on the development aspect because they just don't have the money and they're starting to get further and further down on that grid. And they're just not scoring the points that they know they should be able to. So July of that season, uh, you've got rich energy. They've made their first payment. Congratulations. You're getting, I think it was like $50 million payments at that time. And then all of a sudden, July 19th, Rich Energy terminates the contract over Twitter. And the only you know, uh, confirmation and the only thing that came out on the Twitter feed was that it was kind of like an unofficial official statement that Rich Energy Drinks terminates contract due to poor performance. And that was literally it. That was the tweet. And then it threw Formula One world into like upside down going well where did this come from Haas really isn't doing that bad they're clinging to you know what they can they're doing the best they can they're finishing races I mean they got ninth in 2019 which is not bad 28 points it is the worst uh, point count to date but don't forget they've only been around for three years at this time come to find out that the rogue tweet as rich energy calls it was from a very rogue employee or individual they never stated who it was from they never said you know if that person had been terminated all that they said from rich energy and from haas to everybody going that these statements are not true that rich energy is not terminating the terms of their contract now come two months later and it kind of seemed like it was writing on the wall that rich energy finally pulls their sponsorship officially. Uh, the team itself, or not the team, the company itself, Rich Energy, got in massive, massive money and trademark problems. Uh, it kind of turns out that when you come up with a logo, you want to make it your own, where Rich Energy was being sued because they had plagiarized a logo from a bicycle manufacturer called Wyatt Bikes. Definitely not the start that you want for a major sponsorship, but in that point, Rich Energy had only made one payment of $50 million, and then that was it. So Haas, obviously, they decide to go in the opposite direction. They don't pick up another major sponsor for the 2019 season, which definitely impacts the performance of the car. When you lose your major sponsorship, you're losing millions of dollars, which means you're losing all the research time, all of the wind tunnel time, all of the salary to pay employees to continue on with the research that you've done so far. So Haas came out with a decision that kind of shocked the rest of shocked the rest of Formula One going they weren't going to develop anymore for the rest of that season. So it's only July. You're only halfway through the season and the parts you have on the car are the parts you have on the car for the rest of the season. You're not going to see new wheels, new brake ducts, new wings, new nothing the rest of the money that they have left over in the coffers they are spending just on replacement parts and to limp through the rest of the season which for them at this point when i say limp that is definitely <laughs> that is definitely the uh the theme for the rest of the season they did finish the majority of their races 
but when they did, they were definitely well off the pace. We're talking bottom five, so 15th or less. You could start to see the relationship between the two drivers kind of fracture a little bit, and it wasn't necessarily against each other. It was with the team itself, just because you have got two very successful drivers, the very competent drivers, and things just keep happening to the team that are totally out of their control. And if you've if you've seen any episodes on Drive to Survive, you can see how frustrated the entire team gets with all of this shenanigans that happens to them in less than two years. So 2020, brand new season, brand new expectations. You're hoping to do much better than you did the season before, and this is no different with Haas's case. But unfortunately for them, it was the absolute opposite for them. Um, 2020 was, in my opinion, and in everyone's opinion, the worst year in this team's history. They only scored three points. They only got ninth in the constructors. Their car was ridiculously slow and inconsistent on race day. Slow in qualifying. It was just a horrible car that they had come up with. Combined with the fact that they don't have major sponsorship money still. Gene Haas is still the main sponsor and he's pumping in as much money as he possibly can while trying to stay as patient as an owner can be. And then it goes from bad to worse. Again, I have to go back to this. If you've seen Drive to Survive, you're going to know the episode that I'm talking about. We're talking about the Bahrain Grand Prix. Uh, Roman Grosjean is driving along. He is having a half-decent year. They know he's out at the rest of the season. Or at the end of the season, he will be done with his contract. Bahrain Grand Prix, it's turn three and four. He ends up colliding with Alfred Tari's driver, um, Daniel Kriat. And he ends up veering off to the right just after or just between corners three and four. And he hits that railing and the car splits in half, catches on fire like massive explosion. Red flags the event. Uh, thankfully, and I mean absolutely thankfully, I watched this race live and it seemed like time slowed down, if not stopped, when you saw that fire. And the paramedics got there quickly. The firefighters got there ridiculously fast just because it's corners three and four you're really close to where everybody you know is for safety wise at that part of the track and time just kind of seemed to slow down and stop and then thankfully that uh, roman grosjean was able to get out of the car he did sustain or sustain some serious burns to his hands and to his feet uh but he he did survive he did go to the hospital he did return to the grand prix track that evening just to show everybody that he was okay obviously he's still super pumped on adrenaline hands are wrapped foots in a air cast and wrap just a just because of a bunch of three de- third degree burns and he stated that the the brand new halo and that was a relatively new uh innovation in formula one i believe it was maybe the year before if not the year before that that the halo came in for safety regulations that he stated that the the halo saved him from serious injury, if not death, just for how low he was. And when he went into the guardrail, the top of a, a one of the panels of the guardrail just deflected right off of the halo, uh, right over his head. And if it, the halo wasn't there, then Roman Grosjean would not be here today. Obviously, he didn't race for the rest of the season. He was replaced by Haas reserve driver uh, Fittipaldi. He's got a good track record. He did okay for the rest of the 2020, uh, 2020 season. Fittipaldi, he's consistent, but he's not like top five, top ten drivers. So he kind of finished off the rest of the season where Haas would have been anyways, which was near the bottom of the pack. 2021 comes around. Again, new year. It's going to be great. And this time for Haas, they've got a brand new sponsorship. Now, this sponsorship has got to be one of the biggest money wise over a long extended period of time if it would have lasted uh they did decide not to do any upgrades any major upgrades in the 2021 just because when 2022 was coming around this is where you saw the brand new cars and in 2020 and 2021 um the public found out i guess this has been around in formula one for a while but each team has upgrade tokens that they can use don't know why they call them tokens, but they just do. So Haas had decided to not spend any upgrade tokens at their car for 2021 at all, saving them millions of dollars in research money and time for the 21 car, 
they were going to put absolutely everything into the car that we have seen this previous season in 2022. The car bill, the manufacturing, the new parts, the new parts they could afford with the new sponsorship and everything like that. The sponsorship they had was, and this is kind of a little bit infamous in Formula One now, just because of the political climate at the time, and because I believe Haas did the most important decision of this team's history and will be in the team's history for years to come. They got a brand new Russian sponsorship, uh, a massive, massive fertilizing company. Uh, and with this sponsorship came a brand new driver. Now, both of these drivers for Haas for 2021 were brand new drivers, both Kevin Magnussen and Roman Grosjean were no longer with the teams and they decided to move on. So you got a brand new Russian driver. You got Nikita Mazepin, soon to be known as Nikita Mazespin. And then you've got the legendary, the son of the legendary seven-time Formula One world championship, Michael Schumacher's son. Mick Schumacher comes into Formula One officially in Haas. He had won Formula Two the year before. Really great pedigree. He knows what he's doing off to the races uh well there wasn't a whole lot of racing to be done when it became very clear very quickly and very apparent that especially with nikita nikita mazespin he was only in formula one because of his daddy's money he i think only completed that season maybe five races total he was either crashing into people getting dnfs because there were no upgrades on the car so that part's not his fault or just spinning out and crashing for absolutely no reason. He would complain about the car on air, off air, on the track, you know, behind closed doors. It was just, it was not a good year for that car, period. Mick Schumacher, on the other hand, he'd finished 16th on his debut. He was out qualifying Mazaspin, which in this case was not that hard to do. All you literally had to do was finish the race and you would be out qualifying him. So it wasn't exactly a spectacular season for Haas as well as as soon as they announced that it was a Russian sponsor that there was massive flags gone up so a little bit of history behind that is that a couple of years before in the Olympics the Russian teams were essentially busted for cheating it was a massive doping scandal I think everybody on the Olympic teams on every sport except for like figure skaters were caught doping and then cheating on uh, tests and swapping out samples and all this kind of stuff. So Russia had officially been banned from all sporting events. You could not, if you were a Russian athlete, you could not compete in anything. We're talking Olympics, um, a lot of hockey, a lot of football, um, international soccer, uh, you know, Bundesliga, the German soccer league, all that kind of stuff. All Russian athletes were banned from any sport. Think of any sport and Russian athletes are not allowed to compete. Now, here comes along Formula One going, we're not judging the driver on what every other athlete has done. So the livery, which is the color scheme for the Haas car at that time, is Russian colors, which is same as the U.S. colors, red, white, and blue, but put together in a very specific way. So if you fly Russian colors, you are not allowed to race or compete in any sport in the entire world at that time. So the... The livery is red, white, and blue. So obviously the car is going to be red, white, and blue. But the way they had put it together, you didn't actually know that it was a Russian sponsor unless you looked it up. You didn't know it was a Russian paint scheme unless you looked up who the major sponsor was. Now, there were some indications that it would have been a Russian flag when you looked at the front of the car. The way the wings were, if you go top to bottom, it was white, blue, and red. And if you look at the Russian flag from top to bottom, you've got white, blue, and red. So theoretically, it is exactly the same. But it doesn't look like a Russian flag. It just looks like the same red, white, and blue color scheme across the car from top to from front to back. If you looked at the spoiler, it was a white background with red letters that said Haas and blue trim around the words. So technically, you looked at it, it was still white blue and red. Gunter Steiner was asked this comment and he flatly denied that this was to circumvent the anti-doping agency ban on the Russian flag and it kind of died there. Essentially when Gunter Steiner says one thing you absolutely believe him 100%.
Unfortunately, the money didn't really help the team in the 2021 season. At the end of the 2021 season, Haas was dead last with absolutely no points. So moving on, 2020 was absolutely horrible. They want to forget about that. 2021 is definitely a season to forget as well. You're starting to see a pattern. It's a brand new team. that You're going to go through some growing pains. 2022 has got to be better, right? Absolutely. You've got brand new cars. Everyone's got the same car now. A couple of tweaks here and there. There's a new budget cap in place, which definitely helps Haas. They've got this sponsorship. They've got all this extra money. It's going to be looking up 100%, right? Like, absolutely. There's nothing that can go wrong. Um, except for on March 5th, the team indefinitely announced that it was the terminating, it was to, it was going to terminate the title sponsor with the Russian contract because of Russia's invasion of the Ukraine. Again, across the world, anything Russian, you were done. If it was a company, if it was a sponsorship, and in this case, Nikita Mazepin also went with his money. They did, they absolutely destroyed his contract when they took care of the sponsorship. Um, it's been rumored to say that when Haas decided to terminate the sponsorship with the Russian company, that Nikita, because it was his dad's company, Nikita stood up going something along the words, I'm paraphrasing here, going, well, if you get rid of the sponsorship, I'm gone too. Well, they didn't think about that for one half second, and they kicked him out too. And guess who they brought back? None other than Kevin Magnuson. He was a reserve driver. He was a driver in the wings that should have been there in the first place. They shouldn't have brought in Nikita Mazaspin at all, ever. He was a waste of time just because he was a perfect lesson in doesn't matter how much sponsorship money you get, you have to be good enough to be in Formula One. And his dad just bought his, his seat in Haas, and Haas was definitely the worst for it. Hey, lesson learned. Let's move on. Let's have a fantastic 2022 race. It was okay. At, I'm saying it was okay at best. Um, the improvements to the car that they had done, along with the fact that everybody else was really good or was starting from scratch as well, helped Haas with the standings. Um, they made them look like this is where they need to be for the 2022 season, except that now you've got two drivers that don't really gel that well. And now all of a sudden you can see the inexperience of one and how the other driver in this case, Kevin Magnuson is just absolutely dominating his fellow driver. Now, Mick Schumacher at this point was not exactly a rookie, but he wasn't exactly holding up his end of the deal either. There was definite highlights, though. Uh, double points in the British Grand Prix. Kevin Magnussen got in 8th or 10th. Mick Schumacher was in 8th. First point ever finish for uh, Haas for the first time in three years. He got double points. It was Schumacher's one of his highlights. So it wasn't exactly a whole... It wasn't all bad. Um, they were getting more points on Alfred Tari. They were outscoring Williams by, you know, massive amounts. And they're starting to scare the seventh and sixth teams, which would have been Aston Martin and Alfa Romeo. Now, they weren't that far behind in points. When you look at how far the points were that season, we're talking Red Bull had won with 759 points. Ferrari was next with 554. I mean, the massive drop-off would have been between 5th and 6th. McLaren got 159 points. The closest next was Alfa Romeo with 55. It's like there's a massive difference there, but then as you kept going down, Alfa Romeo and Aston Martin tied with 55 points. Okay, that's that's great. Congratulations, whatever. But then you look down next to okay, Haas. Where's Haas? They're at 37 points. You can see that they're starting to gain more and more momentum as the season goes on. And those two years that are after that are behind them, they're over. They're done with. They've they've moved on from the drama that is the next two years. And they made a very massive decision at the end of the 2021 season where or 2022 season, I should say, where they terminated Mick Schumacher's contract. I don't think it was a good idea for Haas to do this. They had stated that it was because of financial reasons that Mick Schumacher was very, very expensive. He did crash way more times than he needed to. And we're not talking like a little crashes. At one point, he split the car in half. He was fine. But it was over a million dollars 
in damage. So to wrap up the 2022 season, it wasn't horrible. They finished eighth in the constructors with 37 points. They got at least two double finishes, uh, British Grand Prix and the Austrian Grand Prix. Uh, both times, Mick Schumacher outperforming Kevin Magnussen. Now, this was not very often for them, but at least it was a high point for Haas to finish out the season. Their VF22 was finally on track. It was running really well. One thing that Haas cannot complain about is the reliability of the Ferrari engine, which they are keeping for the 2023 season. And it's looking even better for Haas Ford 23 because they've got the new sponsorship deal with MoneyGram. Again, this is massive money for them. Guaranteed three, at least three-year deal, millions of dollars. They're able to hit the cost cap for the first time in their history. They're very short history, but I see them doing really great things from here on out. They, when they got rid of Mick Schumacher, they had announced that uh, Nico Hulkenberg will be returning. Uh, they announced it at the 2022 Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. This, I think this is going to be really good to get really good points for Haas. Uh, Hulkenberg is a two-time Grand Prix starter and winner. Uh, it's it's going to be amazing for them. They got the VF23 coming in. It's a really good jump for them. Um, I think the engine is definitely one of the you know, elevated points when it comes to Haas. It's one of the it's the most reliable part that they've got for them. And the VF twenty three, I mean it's a it's a staple for anywhere on the grid. Let's just get right into the engine. Uh, like I have with every other constructor. Let's explain what the name means. Uh, VF twenty three. Some of it is super easy to figure out as some of these uh, names are, and some of it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. So let's break it down. The VF23, well, let's start with the easy part. The 23, that's the year. Uh, the first card they ever came out with was the VF16. 16 sounds for 2016. 23 stands for 2023. That's the part that makes sense. Now, you got to go back into the history of who owns the company to find out and to understand what the VF stands for. So like I had mentioned earlier, Gene Haas has owned a manufacturing and machining company. So the VF stands for vertical machinery. Um, so VF equals very first vertical machining center. So when Gene Haas had first started his company, his very first machine was called the V1, which or the VF1, which makes sense. And now you're going up to, because it's still part of the Gene Haas world, the VF23 will officially stand for vertical machining center 23. Now, I like the node to where or the nod to where the founder's beginning is in the name. Personally, I don't think it really needs to be there. Um, I know it's very important because that's where Gene Haas got his money and he was able to get into the sport with this and to get into NASCAR. It's very important. I think it should stick in a little bit more with the F1 theme, but hey, that's just me. So that's what the VF23 stands for, the Vertical Machining Center of the 23rd year for 2023. Join me next time when we talk about one of the more unique and likable teams in Formula One. We're going to be talk, talking about AlphaTauri.